Good afternoon, church. It is Thursday, and Thursday means discipleship webcast. Today, I am here with Alex Bush. Um, what a wonderful guy. <laughs> uh, what do you have prepared for us today? Uh, Shane, we got a great episode of the webcast coming up. We're going to talk about Jesus in all of Scripture, how every page of the Bible points to him. And we're going to work through a guide to try to practice how we can see that and understand scripture in that way. So it should be a lot of fun. That sounds amazing. I'm super excited. I hope you guys are excited. Um, but to bring down your excitement, maybe uh, we'll have a short video um, coming up right now. I got something I got to tell you. So get ready for another breakthrough. So let me show you what I mean. I'm gonna say it all right now. Okay, so news of the week. First thing we want to remind everybody about is that Engage is now an app on your phone. This is good, good news. And so if you haven't yet uh, had a chance to download the app, really want to ask you to do that tonight. Even as you're listening, go to the App Store, download the Engage app, make sure your account is activated because we are now fully off of Social Shared and all of our, what we're projects are now workspaces on Engage, all of your courses, everything is now in Engage. So download the app, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, make sure you have that before tonight's over. Yeah, if I have anything to add about the app, it looks absolutely beautiful. <laughs> um, the UI is clean, yeah. <laughs> uh, the second news of this week is that we have a secret but not so secret announcement about Sunday gatherings and so we'll be announcing that this Sunday on the live cast so it's kind of like a Sunday gathering announcement in a during the gathering so you don't want to miss that this Sunday also want to let you guys know that starting next Thursday here on the webcast we are gonna start a new series called First Things. We're gonna look for five weeks at some secondary things that we have a tendency to wanna to put first, but in doing so, we actually lose the first thing and the second thing. And so we're gonna talk a lot about Jesus's Lordship and the implications that that has on our identity, a sense of freedom, truth, justice, love. It's gonna be really, really good. I encourage you guys to check that out. Make sure that you're gonna be here for the five weeks starting next Thursday, 7.30. I'm excited for that. That's going to be, yeah. be really cool. Uh, our next news is the budgeting workshop. So this is going to be next Friday on May 14th, and it's going to be at 7 p.m. online. So you don't want to be missing out on this. Um, summer's coming up. People are going to be getting new jobs, maybe. And I mean, finances. <laughs> budgeting is a really great tool uh, for you to steward your finances mm -hmm. for for the kingdom and so um, if you have time if you don't have time I encourage you to make time to go to this budgeting workshop uh, and our final news of the week is the amazing race so if you missed out on this on the news of this it's on the general announcements channel on discord and all there's more information about it there 
but all you have to know is that this is a really great opportunity for you to invite your friends or your coworkers, any anyone really just around you that doesn't know Jesus into your Simple Church family to have fun. And so May 31st is when it starts. So you want to make your teams, and I believe you can do that on engage.liftchurch.ca. Awesome. Well, we had a lot of news this week, which is great. We also have some celebrations. So Shane, what are you celebrating first? All right. Well, the first, I'm, I'm really excited about this, but the new cohort of missionaries, if you haven't heard, um, they actually started this week, which I'm also a part of, but um, just seeing everyone's beautiful faces again um, just makes me so excited. So yeah, we're just super excited for you guys as well as for myself, uh, for how God is going to continue to use um, all of your guys' commitments uh, to his kingdom, um, yeah, for people to come to know Jesus. For sure. Awesome. We are also celebrating Capture the Flag, the, the competition, the game that has captured our hearts uh, as a church, this all-region competition. We get some great photos coming in. We're, uh, it's just a really fun way to, to be together a little bit where we can right now open yard, open home, see some uh, competition come out and have some fun along the way. So thanks for leaning into that, guys. It's been a lot of fun. I, I believe, I don't know, is this a secret? I think the flag is, is in St. Catharines. Last I heard, it's at Brock. So you can yeah. correct that in the chat. Maybe someone, maybe since, you know, I saw that earlier today that has changed. I don't know, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for leaning into that. Yeah, you never know with this flag. It just kind of... It's moving everywhere. moves yeah. everywhere, 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> it's all over the place. But yeah, it's super exciting. Our next celebration is that apparently, um, because I'm not a lady, I didn't know about this, but there's a ladies clothing swap <laughs> that has been happening this past week. Um, and I've been told that tomorrow is the last day. Um, so you don't want to be missing out. Like, Make sure to go check out on that. And... Um, it's just a really cool celebration of how our church family is leaning into the idea of church as family. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just continue to share resources um, and just spending less money, saving the, saving the earth but by buying less clothes. I think it's a really great idea. Sure. It's good stuff. Uh, we also want to celebrate all of our students who have finished exams for another year. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations, Shane. Oh. I know that you're, many of you are probably very relieved. Uh, way to go, guys, and persevering. If you have someone in your simple church, a student who has recently finished exams, why don't you show them some love in the chat? Uh, we're proud of all of you guys. Way to go. Yeah. Congratulations, everyone. <laughs> uh, our last celebration, but certainly not the least, is that... Uh, we have a new Simple Church that has started lat this week, actually, yeah. this past week um, on Tuesday in Mac Region D. And so I'm just super excited to see how God is going to continue to use that Simple Church family led by Soph. Um, yeah, and just to continue to love on people and to bring people to come, bring people to know Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a few celebration videos coming up. The first one is from Nikki. Hey, LaFam, Nikki from the Brock region here. Just wanted to celebrate Emily Suzel and Soph Strawn for choosing to live together and really modeling for our region what open home and missional living looks like. Thank you guys for always challenging us to prioritize church family and choosing mission over what's easy. Love you guys. Thank you for that encouragement. You guys rock. 
Hi Church, I'm Nicole and I serve as one of the district leaders for Mac Regency and today I'm so excited to get to celebrate Allie Graham and Hillary Ferguson. Um, Allie made a bold ask and invited Hill to step up an apprentice and Hillary said yes. So I'm just super thankful for both of you and your leadership and excitement to serve our church and see people come to know Jesus. Uh, today, I have Dan Trafford. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by Dan Trafford here today uh, for our interview segment. But I've been hearing rumors, I don't know if they're true, but you're here to confirm them, that you are stepping into this new role um, focusing on simple church leaders and district leaders. Is that true? If it is, what is it about? Can you let us know? Yeah, honestly, so I'm really excited. Uh, honestly, one thing I wanted to mention too, I actually got to do an interview with you when we first announced that you were becoming the new SCURD. That's so true. And so I'm kind of actually really happy <laughs> to be here, just in that reverse order here, um, for my new role. But yes, I am stepping into a new role. I am going to be the simple church multiplication, oh, no, uh, <laughs> mobilization multiplier. Uh, so many titles. But yes, Simple Church, Mobilization Multiplier, and yeah, it is really focusing on the Simple Church leaders and the district leaders. Uh, the purpose of it really is just trying to help uh, with the structure, help you guys just really build the health um, and understand the process of multiplication. Um, we've seen a lot of growth. I got to be the Apprentice Multiplier for a while. I'm going to see a lot of growth uh, from there, and then I'm really happy to be able to step into this role now because it's just giving me the opportunity to work in an area of our church and with the leaders who just... Uh, I believe can just really be supported more. Mm. Um, we can provide more help. Help. So, really, my role is going to be working with like teaching the district leaders. So, Alex has been doing a lot of teaching with district leaders. I'm going to be slowly moving into that role myself, and just really helping to uh, educate how we can best Im uh, use like the multiplication life cycle and mm. other things like that. Improving KPIs, doing all of the other small little things. Um, a lot of behind the uh, high, yeah, behind the scenes activities. So I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. I love how um, you're just so excited about kind of like that back end stuff, um, as well as just like allowing more space and more freedom for our simple church leaders to multiply uh, and grow healthily. So definitely. That being said. <laughs> What are you so like? What are you excited about? Like, how is uh, this? Yeah, what are you excited to see? What are you excited to see? Yeah, honestly, I'm just really excited just because like, I'm excited to see the growth that's gonna come from this. I mean, we like I said, we saw a lot of growth with the apprentices um, in my role, and I was really happy to be able to be in that. And so there's just kind of another opportunity for exactly that, both our leaders and district leaders. So I'm really hoping to see that growth there. But I'm also just excited. Like, I think it's just a really cool opportunity, you know? I love doing behind-the-scenes work. I think it's a lot of fun understanding all of how everything's working. Um, and so taking what I've learned from Simple Church Apprentice Multiplier position and taking it to this, I think it's just going to be so much fun. I'm really excited just to see the help that's going to come from this. So. Oh, man. I can feel that, like, <laughs> excited uh. and fun and looking forward to energy just radiating radiating off you here i hope you guys can feel this <laughs> thanks um yeah that being said um do you have any thoughts do you have any encouragement words of encouragement to our simple church and district leaders or any prayers um that you've been praying but also just want our whole simple or whole church family to be praying about 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, probably one of the biggest things for me, especially stepping into this role, it's going to be focusing a lot on the structure of our church. Um, and I really just want to have like a prayer for the simple church leaders and the district leaders to really understand the heart behind the structure. I think sometimes we get into this mindset of we're serving a structure, um, and that's really not the case. I, really not what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. The structure that we have is supposed to serve you guys, supposed to serve uh, the leaders and the district leaders so that they can serve their members, their family, um, the simple church family that we have, and then that can help us just glorify God even more. Mm -hmm. um, so my real prayer, honestly, would just be that we understand the heart behind the structure mm -hmm. um, and that we can truly embrace that as a simple church um, family, simple church, or just church in general. <laughs> so I can't think of the term, just church in general, as lift overall, because I think it just makes such a huge difference understanding the structure. So. Mm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, why don't I just uh, pray for you, but also for our simple church leaders, as well as our district leaders, um, as we close off? Sure thing. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you uh, for Dan and his obedience to step into this new role. And I just pray that there's just going to be so much fruit that comes out of this, that um, you just continue to build these structures, not, not so that we are tied down or chained up uh, to them, but that they serve us, that they help us to continue to grow um, healthily, help us to reach out to those people that have never heard of your name before and to see people made fully alive in your name. Uh, Lord, I just pray that um, through this new role, through um, all, the, all the great work that you are going to do through Dan um, in, in this time of this role, uh, that, yeah, that people can just fall in love with you more, that people can really lean into what it means to be a church family. Um, and yeah, Lord, I just pray a blessing over it. I just pray a blessing um, and that your Holy Spirit would just fall and just continue to take the reins of um, the work that Dan is going to do um, in, this, in this role. And I also just pray over our district leaders and simple church leaders that they would, yeah, not fall into that trap of that we are slaves to the structure, but rather that the structures are there for, to help them do their work, do their work without having to worry um, and knowing that they are supported, knowing that they have resources that can help them um, serve you. Yeah, so Jesus, I just thank you. I just thank you for all that you do um, and all of your great wisdom that you continue to pour into us. And I pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thanks, Dan, for coming on here and just letting Glad us know and confirming those rumors. <laughs> but yeah, um, it was a really great pleasure to listen to what you're going to be doing. Thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Sweet. Well, we're going to be coming up with the Discipleship Resource of the Week right after this. Okay, so the discipleship resource of the week is going to be called the Super Easy Hermeneutic Guide. Okay, I got it right this time. So I'm going to show you, walk you through how to get it. Um, and it's going to be very important because Alex is actually going to be teaching on it today. So it'd be great if you guys can go all go on to engage.liftchurch.ca and just follow through as I guide you through. How to get this resource so this is the main screen of engage and if you go down on the left sidebar 
to resources and you click that, it's the very first resource. So you can't miss it. I really hope it's there for you. And so all you have to do is press the download button and then you put in your name and then you put in your email there and then it'll send you a link to the Google Doc that you can download on your email. And so what it will look like is like this. It's a little small, but if I do this, it should help. So it's a little, it looks a little dense. At first glance, it looks quite intimidating, but it's okay, because Alex is gonna walk you through it and it's gonna be really amazing. I also really love this color scheme, so thank you, creative team, for that. Um, but I hope you guys can take this time just to go and download this resource. Uh, next up, we actually have a daily Devo reading from Leah from Mac Region D. <laughs> Hey Church, my name is Leah. I'm a Simple Church member in the McMaster D region, and the devotional that inspired me this week is Psalm 36, especially the first two verses. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. These two verses really showed me how, how compelling and how manipulating sin can be. I believe when, when we sin, we flatter ourselves in a way saying, oh, our sin isn't too bad. I'm not killing anyone. I'm not committing a big crime. So, so I can sin. My sin is okay. And we categorize our sin saying, oh, my sin's small. It's okay. My sin's big. That's bad, which is not the case at all. Sin is sin. And that's where God's discerning power came in. And yeah, that just spoke to me this week. And I hope that that inspires you in some way. And yeah, enjoy the webcast. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, welcome back. As we said at the top and as Shane mentioned tonight, we're kind of doing a little standalone episode. Uh, we're going to talk about, I'm going to share some thoughts tonight on a bit of a refresher, maybe for some, maybe a new concept for others. Uh, either way, hopefully it's helpful. But we're going to talk about how to study scripture, how to study God's word with a Jesus-centered lens. Um, so if you've ever read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, although this could, of course, happen in the New Testament as well, but particularly the Old Testament, if you've ever been reading there, you know, Life of David, uh, Daily Devos, for example, and thinking to yourself, like, not only do I not understand what's going on, but like what does this even mean to me right now? Like, what, what do I take from this? What do I learn from this story, from this passage? Is there a so what for me right now today for us as the church? How do I make sense of what I'm reading? If that's ever been you, hopefully tonight is a, a helpful part of the journey. Now, we have taught um, some things like this before, back I think it was in the summer, uh, how to study scripture, and we're going to revisit that tonight, um, in part because we are going to be starting a new round of daily devotions, as you know, this Sunday. And for the whole summer, we're going to be reading through the books of Genesis and Proverbs. Um, throughout that journey, you'll also notice about once a week, we're going to have a New Testament passage that speaks to something that we've been reading in Genesis. 
but we thought it would be timely to do a bit of a, a refresher, um, uh, some more practice on when we're reading the Old Testament, in particular what I'll kind of focus on tonight, Old Testament narratives like Genesis. How do we do so in understanding the story we're reading in the context of the whole Bible as it points to Jesus? How do we see Jesus at the center? Because the truth is, the amazing truth about the Bible, it's one big story, one big book, is that he is at the center of it all. All of God's word, from the beginning in Genesis right to the end in Revelation, it's all about Christ. Every book and passage has like a thread or a road that if you follow that, it's going to go back to the center of the story. If you pull on the thread, you will find Jesus there. And in fact, I think it's really important. I heard uh, someone say one time, it was Edmund Clowney. He's since passed away. He's a retired professor, Bible teacher, pastor. But he said um, in something I was listening to that if, if you actually take a story, uh, a Bible story out of the bigger story of the Bible, you will start to change its meaning. So we have to keep all the whole context of what we're reading in mind. It's all about what our God has done, is doing, and will do, and it all centers in the work, the person, the death and resurrection of Jesus and his second coming. I'm really looking forward to this tonight. Um, I think it's, you know, it's important, obviously, but it's also something that I, I really enjoy, and it's, it, it's a bit of a passion because I, I really believe that as we understand the whole story of the Bible more and more, um, we're going to see the depths of God's love for us. And I know that I would imagine most, if not all of us tuning in tonight would, would say that we know that, you know, we know the story, at least in part, we know that God loves us, but I really believe we need to see it again and again in all its fullness. You know, fully alive in Jesus doesn't just mean full head knowledge of, of things and information and Bible facts but it's actually, of course, a changed life that comes when, yes, my mind is renewed by scripture, but also my heart and my soul are been overwhelmed by the truth and the reality of who God is. That, that change from the inside out is what it means to be fully alive. That, that changed heart, that surrendered to Jesus, I see him, I understand him more, and I want to lay my life down for him. I was talking to many, some of you, many of you know Christian Greemer. I was talking to him a while back about some of this stuff. For, for a while there, we were reading through the book of Genesis together and, and chatting about it as we went. And, and it was a lot of fun. We were kind of discovering really, you know, what God was trying to say and how it pointed to Jesus. And uh, he said something to me that just, it just really, um, it really stuck with me. He said, you know, I love God even more now that I'm starting to understand the Old Testament. Um, and how it all fits together. And I thought that was just a really important and, and beautiful statement. And so part of tonight is just a little part of that, that journey, of course, but, but I hope that we can uh, see Jesus, behold his glory a bit, so that he can continue to change us, form new desires in our heart, shatter idols and replace them with himself, and even bring truth to what might be confusing in our time and culture right now. That's really what God's word is all about. Now, I, a uh, disclaimer tonight, I am by no means an expert, uh, and I actually don't think any of us need to be to understand 
uh, God's word and, and the story of it. But the goal for tonight really is to try to share a bit of a framework, even if it starts pretty simple, and we can start to practice and understand just like how do we approach God's word with Jesus at the center. Um, so we're going to work through the guide, the super easy hermeneutic guide, as Shane mentioned. And so we're, gonna, we're really going to focus on its four parts, really going to focus mostly on parts one, two, and three, just for the sake of clarity and for time. And what we're not really going to talk a lot about tonight, but is really, really important, so I'll mention it quickly tonight, is kind of this, this critical foundational element of, of approaching God's word with humility, um, asking the Holy Spirit to speak, and coming before it, not just to glean information from it, but to actually surrender our own minds and wills and rights to the Lord through it. And so, of course, any time that we, we approach God's word, we want to do so with a heart of humility, um, a spirit that's ready to receive what it is the Holy Spirit wants to say, and a prayer that actually says, God, help me understand. Uh, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I know that you have given me your Holy Spirit who can help open my eyes and understand your word. And so that's really, really important. We could do a whole webcast episode just on that part of it. But for tonight, we're going to focus in a little bit more onto the, the super easy hermeneutic guide. So um, moving into that then. So Shane showed you how to get it. If you've downloaded a previous version, it just looked a little bit different. That's okay too, but I am going to work from this new one. It's quite similar to the one we had up earlier, but I realized in kind of working on this that the original one was, was even more lengthy and we could probably concise it a bit, make it a little bit more simple, at least try to. And so if you have an older one, it's not wrong. A lot of the content is the same. But hopefully we just made this one a little bit better. We're always trying to make things better, right? So this is a, an experiment and make it better. And uh, that's the one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use as an example to work to uh, help us work through tonight and practice how we can do this. How can we understand God's word, the Jesus-centered lens? So maybe you heard that word hermeneutic and you're like, what? What does that mean? What is that about? Really simply, a hermeneutic is a method of interpretation, a method of interpretation. And so if you really want to sound super smart and you can tell everybody, uh, I think we talked about this again in the summer, a Christocentric hermeneutic sounds really fancy, right? And you're really smart. It just simply means a Jesus-centered interpretation of the Bible. And so on the guide, I hope you guys have it in front of you. Um, we've outlined four parts, really kind of four main parts to this process, if you will. Let me start by giving, you, giving us a bit of a roadmap. And then what I'm going to try to do in the time that we have is go a little bit deeper in each part. And I'm going to try to weave an example uh, through as we go to demonstrate how I, I might do it um, with, with a story from Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. So the roadmap is this. Part one is what does the passage say? We're going to start zoomed in and just try to figure out what is the author talking about in this story or in this passage. Part two, we're going to try to understand why did the author say this? Why is this here in the Bible? And so here we're getting at what's, what's the point of the passage and what did it mean first and foremost for the original hearers, the original audience of it. Of course, we know that, that God has given us his word for a reason, for a purpose. And so we're going to do our best to determine what was the need at the time that this story or this, this passage was trying to address. 
Um, what was God trying to communicate, in other words? What was the issue? And it's there that we're going to start to see potentially a bridge from that people and that culture to us today. We're going to consider what, what are the uh, common human condition elements that we share that maybe God wants to say the same truth to to us today. Then thirdly, we're going to talk about, okay, so now what does this mean in light of Jesus, in light of the whole story of the Bible? What's the thread that points us to Jesus? And I'll try to give you a few examples of ways you can see Jesus there. And then finally, the fourth part, really important, is how should I respond? How should I respond? We've got a pretty, pretty detailed guide on response there on the guide. But just for time, I'm not going to focus a ton on that tonight. But of course, I think we would all know that once we understand what God's word is saying, we're not really done until we say, okay, therefore... I want to do something differently, right? I want to respond to this. I want to surrender to this. I want to change my thinking or my direction. I want to confess this truth. Our response is really what we're leading towards. But let's focus on parts kind of one, two, and three tonight so that I can hopefully give you some different tools or ways to think about how to go about this. So number one, what does the passage say? Here's where we're going to start. Um, really, again, we're trying to figure out what is the author's main point, and we're going to investigate the details. So a couple questions right at the top are important, of course, as, as we probably all know. So we're going to try to figure out who wrote this, to whom, when was it written, and where was it written. It's helpful to know at the beginning, obviously, but it's also really going to come into play in step number two. Here, a lot of times, if you have a study Bible, this will be right in the beginning. You know, as best we know, this was written by so-and-so and for uh, this church or these group of people at this time. On the guide, we've kind of broken down a, a few of the main types of scripture. But for tonight, really to kind of set us up as we get into Genesis in particular, I'll focus on the narrative passages, the story passages, which is, which is a lot, of course, of Genesis. If the passage is narrative, we can understand that, that the approach is going to be different than if it's poetry or prophecy uh, or discourse, right? So if the passage is narrative, which we're going to talk about tonight, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to find out what was the author's main point. We're going to look at the details and the elements of story. And often, even in the Bible, they're, they're incredible storytellers. They'll use devices such as conflict or climax, repetition, dialogue, various characters, uh, even things like irony to help us kind of as, as lights or flags kind of pointing what they're trying to communicate. And so we can look at those elements of story and say, ah, this is what the author wanted to say. This is what the passage is about. And I think this is really important. Um, in scripture, in narratives, there are virtually no human heroes. Now, some will do a pretty good job and we can take some lessons, we can learn from their faith. But we know that in scripture, there's a lot of really bad examples as well. And the point is that in the Bible, no one is righteous but God. It's his story. And the reason I pointed out is because sometimes it's easy for us to read a narrative and really put ourselves in the position of the, the main character often, but really the main character is God. What is he doing? How is he acting? What is he saying or not saying? What is it about 
God that, that we need to learn, and then we can take a lesson, perhaps from someone in the story or not. Simple principle in narrative passages. First and foremost, it's about God. What is he saying? What is he doing? Um, again, we might learn, we probably will learn, or take a lesson, or take something from some of the characters in the story. But often if we're just putting ourselves in the position of that main character and thinking it's about us, we're going to lose the actual bigger point and see God's goodness in the process. Miss seeing God's goodness in the process. Um, okay, so for any type of literature, a couple other things to remember. If we're having a really hard time understanding or we're kind of confused, scripture interpret scripture. So if it's mentioned somewhere else in the Bible, that can really help shed light on and help us clarify things. And also, we want to pay attention to the details, but we don't want to just take one little detail and run with it and say, this is what it's about. Add up the details of the story. What one thing, as we bring them all together, what one thing does the author seem to be trying to say through this story? Now, I'm using the word story and not passage tonight. Obviously, again, we're going to focus on kind of narrative passages as we get ready for Genesis. So I thought, I, I hope this is going to be helpful. I thought if we could weave an example through the guide that I can kind of be a bit more concrete than just speaking in vague terms. And so I'm going to read uh, a fairly famous story from Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read it so that we're all on the same page. And then as we go, I'll try to quickly allude to it uh, so that you can have an example at least to hold on to. Uh, so Liz is nodding, saying that sounds good. I hope that sounds good in the chat. So here we go. Genesis chapter 22. This, interestingly, it's called the sacrifice of Isaac. That, that might be a little bit misleading, but you'll see why in a minute. Okay. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Here we go. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham answered. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar. He arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. 
Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Okay, so interesting story, right? And one that we're going to get to in our daily devos in Genesis. Um, let's try to practice this guide as we go through. So first thing we need to know is that uh, much reason to believe that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis included, obviously, was written by Moses. And in part, this was the story of God's people, the Israelites. It was written to the Israelites for them and about them. This is the story of our people and our God, how he started this, how he made a relationship with us, and how he's called the Israelites to be a kingdom of priests, his representatives, his people, a blessing to the nations. It's really a story, right, of, of the faithfulness of God to his promises, giving them the law so that he might begin a mission of restoring all that sin had made wrong in Genesis chapter 3. That's kind of the really big zoomed out story of Genesis in the first couple books of the Bible. So here's, I'm going to tell you what I think the author's main point of this passage is, and I'll show you a couple ways of, of how I got there in this first part of the guide. So I really believe what's the author's, what's he trying to, what's it about, what's he trying to say? The message of this story is this, that the Lord himself provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac so that Isaac could live. Now, that might come as a bit of a surprise because you're thinking, well, maybe it's about Abraham and, and how he trusted God and, and, and so I too need to trust God. And that, that's not wrong, of course, we can learn from that. But let me show you why I got there. A couple things. First of all, the narrator, the teller of the story, starts us off in the story by saying that this was a test for Abraham, of course. It's important to know that. God asked Abraham to do something, but it was a test. He was never actually wanting Abraham to kill Isaac. Though God, as the giver of life, does have the right to ask for that. Now, interestingly, we do a little bit of historical study. There were other pagan religions at the time of the Israelites where child sacrifice was a common practice to their gods. And so part of this is that God was contrasting that, that he could ask for uh, Isaac's life, but he wasn't. Something else was going to happen. It's a contrast to that in many ways. But here's where I want us to see kind of some of these road signs or these, um, these lights that help us point to the author's point. And the first one is repetition in the story. Um, they're like tired tracks we can follow. So the first thing is a couple times, verses 4 and 13, it repeats, Abraham looked up and saw. Abraham looked up and saw the mountain. And then after the angel stopped him, Abraham looked up and saw the ram that God provided. But also when he calls the place, I renamed this place, the Lord will provide. 
Quite literally, it's translated, the Lord will see. The Lord will see. Abraham looked up and saw, and then the Lord looked up and saw and provided. So keep that in mind. The other thing that's repeated, verses 2 and 12, is this phrase, your only son whom you love. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Your one and only son whom you love. And then finally, repeated several times, I I think it's three, is this idea of the Lord will provide. Dad, where's the lamb? Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And then when he does, Abraham names the place, the Lord will provide. And the narrator says, why? Because on that mountain, the Lord provided. We add that repetition to verse 13, where it clearly says that that the ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac as a substitute. Okay, so we see repetition. It's pointing us to, I think, a theme, this theme, this idea that what was important about this story is that God himself provided a substitute for Isaac. But then we can also look to other elements of the story. So, for example, the climax of the story. It, the story is told fairly quickly. All of a sudden, we're going from go sacrifice Isaac to he's got all the materials. We're making the journey. But then it slows down painfully. It is very painful. Abraham builds the altar. He ties Isaac to the altar. He holds up the knife, right? It's, like, it's very, we're, we're drawing to a climax. There's drama in this moment. And the climax is that Abraham is holding the knife over Isaac and the angel comes in and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't harm the boy. Now, because we know that the Lord was testing Abraham, the conflict, the tension, the drama isn't really on this question of, is Isaac going to die? Because we know that this was only a test. Also, the Israelites know this is the story of our people. Isaac is one of our ancestors. We are here in part because Abraham didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. So they know that Isaac didn't die. The the tension, the drama that, again, think about the original audience. The Israelites would have been wrestling with is, why didn't Isaac die? Why would God say, Abraham, I I want you to do this and I have every right to ask you to, to sacrifice Isaac. What was it that shifted? What happened? And that is where we see the angel stop Abraham. Abraham looks up and there is a ram. The Lord will provide. Again, so we add up the details of the story. All these road signs to me are pointing to this one thing, the big point of the story. The Lord himself provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac so that Isaac could live. This is what we're first trying to do. Just what is this about? Um, and then we're gonna, we can move to, okay, why is it here and how does it point to Jesus? But hopefully you're with me on that first part. I'll make some comments as we go. Again, can we learn from Abraham's faith? Yes. Are there places in the New Testament where we, we learn about Abraham's faith and are called to model it? Yes. But I think there's more going on. There's a bigger story, a bigger point. And think about the Israelites. Who were they um, likely to identify with? And we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so that's part one. We're just trying to figure out what is going on in the story and what is the author trying to say? What's the message? What's the point? Number two, let's move on, is now why is this here? Why did the author say this? 
the who, the when, and the where questions are really important here as well. But also these questions, so you'll see it on your guide. Where is this passage placed in the context of its book? Um, see how we're starting to zoom out a bit? Words such as therefore or immediately the next day or you know, later that day can help us understand where this occurs in the storyline of the book. And often that helps us understand more of the meaning of why is this here and what did it mean? How does it function? For I'll give you a different example. Uh, we were talking about in our huddle recently, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who meets Jesus and has a complete change of heart and gives everything he owns away. Well, Luke places that story of Zacchaeus in a really intentional string of passages all about finances, money, and the love of money, and the call to be generous and to sacrifice and to trust God. And he places the story of Zacchaeus right after a blind man receives his sight. And he puts the two stories together, parallels them in clear ways. He wants us to see that in the string of passages about money, here's a man, Zacchaeus, who was blind spiritually and now can see. There's a reason that the stories are told in that order. The other thing we're going to ask ourselves about the story is, what does it tell us about God? His will, his mercy, his character, his nature. Again, don't put yourself right away in the shoes of Abraham and say, well, look around in the story about Abraham. It's not first and foremost about any of those characters. It's about God. What is he doing? What is he saying? What is his heart? This is his story. And then we can start to try to wrestle with what do we think the author intended this to mean for the original hearers? Why was he telling his original hearers? For example, we'll see passages about warnings against idolatry. Or other times it's calling God's people back to trust in him. At other times it's comfort in trial or challenging legalism. You can, what is the situation? What was the need? Why was this being told in this way? Now here we might need to do a little bit of research. We might need to open up a commentary, look for some historical context, which we can certainly do, talk about in our huddles, for example. But I also want to say that many times, like you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand these as well. Many times you can determine this. As you're going through God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. Pray, Lord, help me understand what this means. What did it mean back then? And what does it mean today? Flip around the pages. Where is it located? What's going on? Think about the bigger picture story of creation down through to new creation and meditate on it for a bit. What might it have been like in this case for the Israelites to hear this story many years after it happened, of course. So why is this here? Why would they have this to, to continue to retell and to share? What does it seem like the author is trying to do? And so on your guide, you'll see at the bottom of part two is the summary. And basically, we put it there to kind of get you to see that this is what we're leading you to. After all this work in parts one and two, here's what we're trying to kind of land on. So let me give you a quick example using the Abraham and Isaac story. What do we think is the author's main point of the passage? Again, what I think, how Israel would have heard it, the Lord himself provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac so he could live. Why do we think the author wrote this? Well, again, if we are the Israelites and we are saying we're supposed to be the people of God, he's calling us to be faithful to him, yes, but he's also promising 
to be faithful to us. And that's the bigger yes. God's people need him to step in and provide salvation. God's people need him to provide a substitute. We always have, and we see it fully in Jesus. We need something that's going to be given in the place of our weakness, our sin, for our life. The Israelites were facing that back then. And of course, the bridge to the human condition, well, that's still true of us today. It speaks to the sinfulness of all humanity. We still need God. We cannot achieve salvation, relationship with him. We can't earn our way to God. We need him to provide. So, verse or part three, verse three, part three. Okay, we're, we're kind of getting an idea, hopefully, of like what the story is about, maybe what it meant then. And so now we're saying, okay, in light of the whole story of the Bible, what does it mean in light of Jesus? The whole story of scripture helps us understand the, the universal truth that God wants to communicate to us today. Now, there's a lot of different ways um, I've heard of seven, there's probably more, that we can, we can see Jesus in, in passages, especially in the Old Testament. We put four on the guide. Hopefully, these are maybe four of the more straightforward ones to kind of get started with. Um, let me explain them to you quickly, and then again, I'll, I'll use one as an example. So how do we know? What does this mean in light of Jesus? Well, here's the first kind of way we could potentially see him. And that's the story of redemption. So basically here, we're going to try to put our passage, our story, into the bigger storyline of God's redemption. Creation, and then sin, and then the Old Testament where God is working to redeem through one family, Israel. And we have kingdom of priests and kings, exile, prophets, redemption in Jesus. Finally, the Savior, the Messiah comes. He lives perfectly. He dies for us. He's resurrected. He ascends into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit, church, and the new creation. That, that, that arc of redemption. Where does our story fit in that storyline? And are there any characters or events that are kind of pointing us ahead, road markers, if you will, to what God will do again, but fully in Jesus, in the sending of Jesus? So, for example, in our story, this is Genesis 22, but earlier, you might remember, in Genesis 12, God told this one man, Abraham, the same Abraham, I'm going to make you into a, a great nation, a great family, and through your family, I'll bless the whole world. I'll bless all the nations. This is in response to sin, breaking the relationship with God. And so God said, I'm going to use one family. I'm going to work through this one family to send blessing, send a savior through that family. Now, in order for God to establish Abraham's family, Abraham would need a son. Famously, Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't have a son at this point. They were quite old. God provided a son named Isaac. So here we go. Well, if Isaac is now potentially going to be sacrificed to God, how is this family going to continue? In other words, what would be the foundation of being a blessing to the nations? What would be the foundation of God's work of saving us, of all creation, his merciful provision. It has to be about his merciful provision. And we see that in a little glimpse, even in this story. A quick side comment on this part of the process in the Old Testament. It's okay if things seem, 
if, if there seems to be tension in the Old Testament that you quite can't reconcile, um, don't try to resolve things before the cross of Jesus. So, for example, maybe you're sitting there thinking, like, how could God, on the one hand, ask for to take someone's life or this kind of idea of justice or judgment, but then also be merciful and provide? Like, how do those two things go together? Are they contradictions? You know, and it doesn't seem like it's going to resolve quite yet. But when you move ahead to the story of the cross, it's at the cross where God's justice and mercy, his grace and his law and his love all collide in Jesus. It's okay if things don't resolve. There's a reason. They're incomplete. The story wasn't finished yet in the Old Testament. So that's the first way we can do is we can put it in the storyline of redemption and, and see if there's characters or events that point us to Jesus. The second thing, and this would be more often in um, places like the prophets, is promise fulfillment. Is there something in the passage that's promised that we later see fulfilled in Jesus? Um, So again, a lot of the prophets will have this. And it's particularly helpful if Jesus himself references it in the gospels, which he very often does, interestingly. The third one uh, is another really helpful one, and that is uh, New Testament references. So if you're reading a passage in the Old Testament and you discover or you remember that it's referred to by a New Testament writer or something in the Gospels, that's really helpful. That New Testament reference can help us understand the meaning and, and uh, how the early church and the apostles understood that, that Old Testament reference, what it to mean. And the last one is themes. Um, again, not the, this is an exhaustive list, but hopefully to help you get started. There are a number of different themes. I've listed a few on the guide, but there are lots. Themes that kind of run from, even from like the very beginning, from Genesis all through to Revelation. And ultimately, they all find their resolution, their fulfillment in Jesus. Um, So you can kind of ask, is my passage about any of these themes or does it include any of these themes? Things like covenant or partnership with God, exile, um, king and kingdom, We see that all throughout the Bible, king and kingdom, failed kings. We need a king, God's kingdom. Jesus comes as king. Rest and Sabbath, righteousness and nakedness, marriage and faithfulness. God constantly refers to himself as as the groom and his people as the bride. It's a theme that runs throughout all of scripture. Really quick, here's an example. God's presence and worship. It's a theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. We want to be in God's presence. Sin broke us from God's presence. We see it in different forms, right? We have God present with the Israelites in the pillar of fire, the cloud. Uh, We see him in the tabernacle and in the temple. But now, what does Jesus say? He comes on the scene and he says, I am the presence of God. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came, took on flesh, and he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. And so if you're reading a psalm, about what the author is saying, like, I just, I long to be in God's presence. I want to go into the house of God. I want to go into the tabernacle and be with God. We share the same desire, but we don't have to say, I need to go to a physical place. The invitation is to know the presence of God in the person of Jesus. And the, and the message now is, you can be in my presence because Jesus has made a way. How incredible is that? Do you see how tracing the theme, we can see that theme in in the book of Psalms, for example, we can pull on it and the thread pulls us to the truth that has been made complete in Christ. 
Uh, there's a lot of other ones that we don't have time to get into and maybe it get a little bit more complicated. And to be honest, I don't understand some of them, but um, maybe in Q&A we can talk a little bit about those. Um, so again, this part has a quick summary. At this part in the study, you're kind of saying, okay, how does this point me to Jesus and what he's done for us? So I guess I'll use a kind of the theme approach here for Abraham and Isaac's story uh, and kind of pull on this thread, this theme of substitution, sacrifice, offerings. As the story of creation to new creation continues, even beyond Abraham and Isaac, the theme of God providing substitute for us, for our forgiveness, for our life, that continues. And so, like I said earlier, yes, we can learn from Abraham's faith in the story, his willingness to surrender to God. But think about this. Was that the main message for the Israelites to take away? Was that what Moses was trying to say? Be like Abraham. If we keep pulling the thread of the theme that God provides a sacrifice, a substitute, keep pulling the thread. Well, remember, maybe in Egypt, the Israelites are in slavery and God sends a plague, and the life of every firstborn son would be taken. But God said to the Israelites, but if you trust me, I will provide a substitute, a Passover lamb. We keep pulling, we keep pulling the thread. Their salvation, their rescue, didn't depend on their effort, but on God's provision for them, a substitute. That continued to be the story. The Lord provided through a series of laws and offerings and sacrificial system. And then finally, when the time fully came, Jesus was given as the ultimate ransom for our redemption, for our forgiveness. Think about this. Ultimately, the dad who had to truly sacrifice his only son whom he loved was our father in heaven. The ultimate reason that Isaac could live is because God did what Abraham didn't have to do. Watch his son die on the altar. Pull the thread. It points to Jesus. We needed God to do something greater than these temporary sacrifices. We needed God to send his only son whom he loved. And Jesus was that, that ram in the thickets. He was the substitute for us. He died so we could live. Um, I got another quick example about David and Goliath, but... We're getting a little bit long and I want to get to Q&A, so I'll skip that unless you uh, want to talk about it in Q&A. And then finally in the guide, number four is how should I respond? What is the shared truth? What, okay, now that I understand what's being said, what do I do with this? And this is really the, the main point, right? We want to be formed by God's word. You know, what do I need to confess? What do I need to repent? How will this change my life? How will this change my family, my simple church, my community? Who else needs to hear this truth? Responding. There are many different ways. There's no prescription of how we're going to respond, but we say, Lord, now that I know this, now that I've seen this, what are you leading me to do with it? And finally, and really importantly, on the guide, under the section called Extra Help, we have some criteria that you can kind of cross-reference, you know, determining truth from Scripture, questions to check, if you're, if you're reading a, a passage, you think you kind of have an understanding, but you're not really sure, work through some of these questions. It can kind of help us cross-reference and double-check. So, and then finally, a link to some helpful Bible studies. I know that was a lot, and it was kind of quick, um, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it didn't feel very quick, but I really hope that was helpful in some way. Guys, I think the, the, key, the key takeaway is this. It's all one big story with Jesus at the center. 
The point isn't to force something into the story, but to try to step back and see it. Practice, practice pulling the thread and understand that this is about God, his love for us, what he's done, and how that ultimately was done in Christ. From there, we can say, now what should I do? What do I need to do? All right, so I'm going to uh, end it there, and then Shane's going to join me again. We'll get into some questions. would love to know if, uh, if that was helpful or what we can clarify as well. So we'll be back in just a minute. back. Shane, yes. welcome back. Thank you. Let's get into some Q&A. Um, what do we got? Do we have any questions so far? Um, I think the first one was from Jesse Brown. Um, he asked, what did you have to say about David oh, and okay. Goliath? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, well, really quickly, this is actually really short. So get your other questions in. Um, interestingly, so David and Goliath, kind of view a lot of stories as kind of having multiple layers, right? So at the, at, the, at the base layer, the kind of the personal story is unlikely hero against a giant. And we love that. You know, it's fun. It preaches well. It's like, I'm David. Who, you know, what are my giants in my life? But it also meant something a level up. It had a, it had a national meaning to it, right? David versus Goliath was an important moment in Israel's history, like royal history, national history. The message at that level was more important to the Israelites. That is, God's anointed king delivered us. Nobody else was able or willing to fight. Mm -hmm. And so David's victory, listen, you can hear the God, David's victory was imputed, given to the Israelites, but God provided it. Um, and they were given safety in the promised land. But then even higher up in the story of the whole Bible, what does it mean in the bigger arc of redemption? 
in that fight, David didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't even really have any armor. He couldn't use the armor that he was given. Um, but he came in the name of the Lord, and the Lord provided victory for them. Mm. And so that story is actually on a bit of a highway for, it's a little chapter um, of God's battle against the real giant, which is Satan. And so it's God delivering his people, and he's ultimately going to do that through another king um, who doesn't just risk his life, which David did, but who actually gives it. And Jesus Mm. gives us victory from the biggest giant by allowing that giant to crush him and then be raised to new life. Mm. So again, before we just say that, you know, like, let's be like David and have courage. Like, that's not necessarily wrong, but there's a much bigger story going on. And when, when I see that actually Jesus has saved me from what is truly um, my enemy, sin and Satan, then from there, I might actually have true faith and courage to face the other battles that are in my life. So uh, yeah, there you go, Jesse. David and Goliath. Yeah, that was really good. Um, another question came in from Dan asking, what is your favorite story in the Bible? Oh, this is a question for both of us. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, we don't want to miss Dan Trafford's question, but uh, I'm actually going to turn that around on Dan, and I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to tell me how Elisha having children mauled by bears shows us Jesus. Because uh, it does. Somehow. <laughs> that is a great question, um, but I'd actually love to know. So maybe some homework for some keeners. All of you who are now done exams, here you go. New homework. Yeah, like, sorry, Shane, go ahead. The other Dan asked a question. Yes. Sorry, Dan Trafford. I totally missed that one there. But uh, yeah, what is your favorite story in the Bible as well as my favorite story in the Bible? Favorite story in the Bible? Oh. Uh, I think talking like Old Testament story you mean I think you mean because like my favorite story in the Bible is Jesus but that that, I was gonna say no I think I know what you mean Um, (laughs) favorite story in the Bible honest for me I think it's at the very beginning in Genesis when um, oh man Maybe it's not my favorite because I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. But um, good thing we're going through it in daily devos soon. But when God um, promises, or oh man, I think it was I think it was Abraham. It was Abraham when he was like, when you look at the bow in the sky, which is a mm-hmm. rainbow. Um, Remember my covenant. That was Noah, yeah. That was Noah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's a great But, um, yeah, just like... Favorite story. I think that's um, mine. I really like the story of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz. Mm. I really like that story. Like, the whole, the whole book is pretty awesome. Um, but, I mean, I'm also really looking forward to Genesis getting into Daily Devos because reading through that a while back, like, it's, a, it's an incredible book for so many reasons but there's a lot of really amazing stories in in the book of genesis a lot of messed up ones as well obviously too um but a lot of stories of god's mercy Mm -hmm. um but i really yeah the story of ruth maybe is a bit underrated but i really like that one yeah that's very good okay uh robin has a really practical question what step do you think is the most common to skip and why yeah, I, I, guess, I, I have two answers to that. The first one is probably response. 
um, mm-hmm. at the end. And so, and, and why is because like, we can be like, oh, like that was interesting or that was cool. Like, you know, we found a unique way that we can see Jesus, like, awesome, let's pray. And then mm-hmm. we don't, but we don't actually allow it to form us. Um, but, but I think, but I think you're also asking like in parts one to three, um, and I think they're probably the, skipping the step of like, what did it, like, why did the author say this originally? Like, what did it mean? Trying to understand like, what was the, the point, the message um, for the original audience? And I think probably just because it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky at times to do. It's hard. It's some hard work to figure that out. Um, we kind of want to just go from like the, the details of the story to like, you know, jump to Jesus or something. But mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we understand, like, why is this here? Um, mm-hmm. What was God trying to to move in his people or trying to change in his people? Because then we're going to see why it's so important. Because then we're going to see the bridge to, like, what does it mean to us today? We're not mm-hmm. all that different, though time and culture has changed and places maybe changed for some of us. But um, that's probably the most skipped, that second mm-hmm. part. What did, what did this mean? Uh, why? Yeah. I think like even when you were explaining David and Goliath's story there, um, knowing kind of the background and like who it was intended for and like the bigger picture from just David defeating Goliath um, and like how it's like <clears throat> for like a step forward for the Israelites. Yeah. Like that already brings so much more power into the story. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. Like didn't just go home and like, way to go, David, you beat your enemy. It was like the entire nation was saved mm. uh, and they just they just stood there. Um, and victory was given to them. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Rebecca asks, do you have any recommendations for trying to find God in the story? Uh, the part about him being the main character, uh, in books or narratives where he isn't mentioned. Good question, Rebecca. For example, I'm pretty sure the book of Esther doesn't mention God at all. Yes. Interesting. And my recommendation here is to listen to a podcast called Spoken Gospel. Mm. Uh, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also serious. Um, there actually is a really great resource, it's, and I really enjoy it. It's called The Spoken Gospel, and they go through like every book of the Bible, often chapter by chapter, and, and they practice this. How do we see Jesus? So it's not a cop-out. That one in particular is an interesting case. I, I believe you're right. I believe it's kind of known for... Uh, like God isn't mentioned or he doesn't seem to be talking. Uh, I would say look deeper, Mm. you know, think of like, look, um, research a little bit of the historical context, what was happening, why, and see if maybe you see God moving, even Mm. if it's not explicitly mentioned. Um, So, but that's a really interesting question because that is one book that kind of has baffled people for a while. Like it's the one that seems as it seems a bit different where God isn't explicitly mentioned, but it's there for a reason. Where is it in the storyline and, and what takes place? Wow, that's good. Okay. Those are a lot of questions. I'm really... Yeah, I got one from Laura here too, yeah. right underneath. Uh, do you have any advice for approaching conversations with people who struggle with the Old Testament because they view it as condoning some terrible actions? Um, I know you highlighted looking at the overall story and how it points to a need for Jesus, but sometimes I've seen it be a stumbling block if it doesn't explicitly say what happened in the story was wrong yeah that's a really good question laura um because we want it to right we Mm -hmm. like part of us wants god to come in and and drop some hammer right then in that time about like this is wrong but i say like um 
we actually have to try to like encourage help that person understand that this story is in like we we can't take it out mm-hmm. it is in the bigger storyline of the bible and often those things that are clearly wrong and and god they didn't honor god he's he's working to to redeem and to change and it progresses throughout the rest of the, of the story mm-hmm. and so i i know it's a bit tricky cuz but we have to actually say okay now so this is what happened in Genesis and it seems like it was just allowed to happen. But let me tell you like how it continued and how God revealed that like, no, I'm, I'm bringing about change. I'm, I'm, this is not right. I'm going to change that. A lot of that progresses throughout the uh, history of the Bible. And then we see, you know, we see often those things flip around onto Jesus. He actually takes it onto himself. So I I I, under, I totally understand your question. I wish I had a bit of a better answer, but it's almost like we have to show them like you, we can't take the story out of the mm-hmm. big the big story. It has to be put in there. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rachel reminds me. Oh my gosh, how did I forget? I was thinking Old Testament, but you're totally right. The prodigal son is <laughs> is. I think Jesus' greatest sermon uh, in the New Testament, in my humble opinion. I love that story. It's a bit of a joke with my family. They're like, oh, did, you know, you're preaching on like Proverbs. Did you somehow make it about the prodigal son? Like, <laughs> yes, I did. It's awesome. You try it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Kirsten actually has a really good point here. Uh, the book of Esther, not explicitly mentioning God, can be a lot like what our day-to-day life is like. There's no narrator pointing out exactly where God is acting or speaking, but it doesn't mean he's mm. not there. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the questions, guys. This has been fun. I hope it. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's getting you like uh, even more like looking forward to Genesis and Proverbs. We mm. didn't talk about Proverbs. That's a whole. That's a bit of a different thing, but I would just say for for that really quickly, because you're going to be like, well, it's not narrative, it's not poetry. Um, remember this. So it's a, it's a book of wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the wisdom of God, and so often when God calls us to something or He commands us to something, it's revealing the heart of God. Mm-hmm. If God c- commands us, which He does, you know, do not commit adultery. In part, that means that His heart for us is totally faithful, like husband mm-hmm. to a bride. And so as you're reading through Proverbs, yes, it's, it's wisdom to follow, uh, commands to follow, but it's also this is what your God is like. This is who God is. And so maybe a fun kind of exercise is how do I see this in Jesus and how does he actually help me do this? Because, you know, it's not just about moralizing it. So, mm. yeah. Maybe we should do Esther for our next Daily Devos. Oh, is that a... No, I, I have no idea. A preview? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we call it, Shane? Yeah, I th- well, I see <laughs> people a couple people typing, but... Okay. We'll give them um, a minute. Yeah, we'll give them a... Exactly one minute. Do you have your daily <laughs> devotional book? I do. It. Good man. Man, I'm... So I noticed, actually, I forget who pointed this out. Maybe it was Rach, but she was like, if you put the two covers side to side with the back... In the forward front page side to side they like line up. it lines up and i was like mind blown shout out to um, emma for that really beautiful mm-hmm. cool design yeah yeah i don't know it's just something about the cover just 
makes you want to go through the book, like the Devo book. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's be- it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's about it. I don't All think right. any more well, questions are coming through. This has been fun, guys. Thanks. As we said, uh, the top next Thursday, a new five-week series. Robin's ready to go, almost ready to go. He's pumped. It's going to be really, really good, really helpful, and super important mm-hmm. for our church in the kind of the time and culture we're in. So first things, uh, come, get ready, bring your notepad, bring your questions. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah. Other than that, see you Sunday live cast. Yeah, with the big announcement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Be blessed. Have a good night. <laughs>